Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. Imagine a world where talking to computers feels as natural as chatting with a friend. That's the power of ChatGPT, a groundbreaking technology developed by a company called OpenAI. But security pros are understandably worried. For starters, ChatGPT can be used by bad actors to create misinformation at an unprecedented scale. Worse, ChatGPT will also allow cyber criminals to create high-quality phishing emails like never before. So how do security teams address these challenges? To answer this question, I invited Daniel Ben Chitri, Director of Product Management at Authenticate, onto the show. In our conversation today, he breaks down what ChatGPT will mean for corporate security teams. We'll also discuss how OSINT analysts can leverage this technology effectively and how to protect sensitive information in the era of generative AI. So without any further ado, let me welcome Daniel Ben Chitri. Dan, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. What is the coolest application that you've seen for ChatGPT? Yeah, so ooh, that's a good question. You know, outside of cybersecurity, and there's a lot of cool applications there. One of the coolest things I've seen is there's a guy who like distilled like the top 100 books, right, uh, in different genres: fantasy, romance, all of these things. Got like the cliff notes took all of those, fed that back into ChatGPT and started writing books. And they're using Amazon's print-on-demand to like sell ChatGPT-generated novels based off of like the, the best-selling works out there. Really cool concept. That, that is so cool. So you'd instantly have all the best ideas from all the best authors in literature, and you just get to condense it into your amazing story. Yeah, it's one of the, the real best use cases of like language learning model, chat GPT, all of these things is to distill information and use that as your, your source of truth. Yeah, I've been I've been playing around with this this tech for for I mean since it came out. And and there's some some great stuff like just summarizing things or uh, creating sock puppets and stuff like that. There there is some really, really cool stuff. That, that you can do just instantly writing, you know, writing novels is one of them, writing articles. It, it's, it's a really fun technology to play with. Maybe just we'll just go back for a second for maybe the, the two people that are that are working in OSINT that haven't quite heard of, of ChatGPT yet. Can you just de- define what it is? Yeah, so ChatGPT is OpenAI, which is a company. It's their language learning model, which is a, a type of train, machine learning model that trains an AI. So, you know, artificial intelligence, the big spooky Skynet, that thing that's trying to do human things, right? It's trying to write code or do things like this that a human might be able to do. It's trained with something called machine learning, which is what it sounds like. You're making a machine learn how to do these things. And then there's a a thing that's called deep learning, which is a type of machine learning. And specifically in that, you have a LLM. It's a, a large language model which basically is just taking a lot of data and using that as the data set for the machine learning of that AI. I'm really simplifying it, obviously, but that's kind of the, the core. So the data that you're training on is very large in these cases. Right. So how does it, and, and I don't know how technically you can go into this, but how does it know what word to come up with next during this process when it's uh, returning some, a response to a prompt? Yeah, so... 
obviously, again, this is a very high level. I don't have a PhD in machine learning like some people out there, so I might mess this one up. But generally, it, it takes all of the data that it's collected, and you're talking about terabytes, petabytes of data, I mean, large amounts of data, and it distills into what it thinks a good response is. That's why sometimes you'll get gibberish or you'll get things that don't make sense. A key example of this is in a machine translation. So if you ever put something into Google Translate and it gives you the wrong translation, something that just doesn't make sense, that's because it's using what it knows, but it doesn't have the full context. And that's, that's where the large language model comes in. It takes a lot of language in. It uses its knowledge of what it's read before, quote unquote read, and it tries to make an educated guess. It's not always right. And that's where we'll get into some of the, the pitfalls of don't take everything ChatGPT says as truth. But it, that's, where, that's where it's coming from. Gotcha. And where can you find ChatGPT right now? You, you can find a lot of different versions of ChatGPT, but you can find it, you know, obviously if you go to, you know, type into Google ChatGPT, you'll find the OpenAI version. You'll be able to actually see a lot of extensions that have integrated ChatGPT into browsers. A lot of security tools, non-security tools now have, you know, powered by ChatGPT. So it's just kind of built inside of it. But you'll also see outside of just ChatGPT specifically, these models in things like Bard, Titan, which is uh, AWS's version, uh, and a lot of other security platforms that are starting to build their own purple from uh, Sentinel One, et cetera. So the concept is actually being built into a lot of different tools. ChatGPT is just one version of it. Right. That's what I'm kind of excited about to see where the technology goes down the road. Like you're using it right now with, with the prompt and it's not that complicated to use, but I'll be kind of curious to see where the technology goes as you start using it in an application where it might be a little bit more intuitive to use for a specific purpose, whatever that might be, and seeing how the developers kind of take it to the next level. That's going to be kind of interesting to see where this goes down it's, the road. It's going to be really interesting to see how much it impacts our day-to-day -day life without just even knowing it. It's going to be powering things behind the scenes. Not even going to be saying, you know, powered by OpenAI or powered by Bard or whoever. It's going to just be there and it's going to be impacting our life without us even knowing. Yeah. Well, I like, like the two examples I'm thinking off the top of my head would just be like just misinformation online with oh, the amount of stuff sure. that you can put out now. And then, you know, from a marketing perspective, uh, just you know, customize landing pages, customize advertisements that are tailored just for you as you're surfing. Like that's probably if it's not happening now, it's just a couple of months away. Oh, for, for sure. This probably is happening now. We just don't even know it. Let's take this conversation back to, because uh, ChatGPT and, and AI, there's, oh, yeah. there's so many different ways that we can we can take this conversation. I want to take it, keep it more on the OSINT and, and cybersecurity focus. Can you, you tell me why is ChatGPT, you know, how, how do you see this reshaping the landscape for cybersecurity or, or OSINT over the next couple of years? Uh, it's, I mean, there's so many different ways. You know, I, I think back to the time of uh, what people called script kiddies. It's still around, but people that would take other people's code, right? Now, I don't need to go and find someone else's code. I can just ask ChatGPT to give me some, you know, write a, a, a piece of code that does X, Y, Z. So that's obviously one piece of it. It's, it. It democratizes, as they say, coding and the ability to do things with code that a lot of non-technical people haven't had in the past. So that's, that's definitely one. Another side is from, you know, on the, the offense side, the people that are writing those Nigerian prince emails that always have all the misspellings. Well, now they have something that can write them a perfectly good English ransom, you know, type note or whatever they want and send that out. And now it's, it's a little bit harder to, to see. 
on the defense side, we have things like uh, Microsoft's Copilot, which is in like the SOC, right? So it's using this type of, well, actually, they're actually using ChatGPT and OpenAI's uh, LLM to, to do this because they've invested a lot of money there. That's kind of helping the SOC analysts, instead of one person looking at one thing, they have an AI-powered analyst now. Then you go all the way to the OSINT side, which I think there's a lot of pros and cons. Right? You mentioned disinformation. So as I mentioned previously, don't take everything you hear from ChatGPT because it might not be 100% correct. And we'll get into that with like poisoning of data. But the other piece, which I kind of talked about with the, the whole book idea, is it's really good and it's going to be really powerful for OSINT analysts to use this to distill the information that they're collecting. You know, I go to 100 different websites doing an investigation. It's almost impossible for me to, within a couple of minutes, distill that into a report or tell me, you know, give, give the highlights of it. However, ChatGPT does it in seconds. And that's what it's really powerful for. And I think we're going to see a lot of benefit in the OSINT world around that specific use case. All right. I was feverishly taking down notes while you were giving that answer there. And there's a bunch of different places where I can take this yeah. conversation next. I, I think uh, when there were there three main bullet points, I think was like offense, defense, OSINT. So why don't we go into the first bullet point that you mentioned there, offense. Tell me a little bit more about what ChatGPT gives adversaries. What kind of capabilities does it give them to, to possibly inflict damage upon uh, the assets that we're trying to protect? Yeah, if you, you know, it's coming from a, a, a analyst, a previous analyst, my previous job uh, or jobs before where, you know, the main goal of a defensive person is to make it really tough for the offensive person to, to do what they want to do so they waste more money. Time is their most valuable asset. And ChatGPT and these types of models generally makes it a lot quicker for them to do what they need to do. They don't have to sit there and think and think and think or rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. ChatGPT will give them 15 different versions of the, the phishing email they want to send that are all completely targeted to the person that I'm targeting. It's not just spear phishing, but it's like extreme spear phishing at this point because I can, I can get a lot of information out of ChatGPT in seconds, use that myself, or just have ChatGPT write those for me. So speed up of time is, is number one. The second is expand the technical prowess of a, of a maybe a non-technical offensive person. Most of the time, You'll see ransomware or you know phishing attempts that have PDFs, which everyone knows don't click the PDF in the rant, in the phishing email. I can now make that a little bit more technical because I am writing something that is powered by AI that I don't have that knowledge, but the AI does. And you take that a little bit further and you go into cybercrime, which I think is where the biggest damage is going to be done because you know, we have good content filtering, there's anti-AI, you know, spam filtering, all that type of stuff. But the cyber criminals who are technical, who know how to use the technology in the best way, they're going to be able to expand ransomware as a service. Cyber crime as a service is what we're kind of starting to see in this space. And that's where I think the most power is because they know what they're looking for. They know what they're doing. ChatGPT is going to generate 90% of what they need. And they're just going to do the other 10. But that 90% is probably the most amount of time. Mm. So if I'm getting this straight, for the top skilled cyber criminals out there, this is just a, a massive leverage point, a, a yeah. force multiplier. And for the less skilled cyber criminals out there, this is just upskilled everyone overnight, essentially. Uh, 
Exactly. And then the only other thing I'll just note, and this is more on the nation state side, I'll say, is the amount of disinformation that can come out of a, a, a machine learning algorithm like ChatGPT is the thing that scares me the most. And I'm sure that a lot of people down the street in the, the White House that are staying up at night because of the existential threat from a disinformation standpoint that will be able to come out of this type of technology. I want to put a pin on that disinformation thing and, and revisit it back in a sec. But but I also just want to talk a little bit about uh, one of the things that I'm worried about with, with this technology is, like you mentioned previously, that upskilling that everyone suddenly has. I think about something uh, one of the most obvious things is like writing, whereas, you know, before previously, you know, maybe 5% of the population was professional level at writing. Now with ChatGPT, pretty much everyone overnight is now pretty close to a pro writer uh, with with just a little bit of prompts on ChatGPT3, let alone ChatGPT4, which I haven't had the chance to play around with yet. And so I can imagine it's the same thing, whereas, you know, it used to take a lot of technical skill and a lot of time to learn a lot of you know the coding that you needed to be a successful cyber criminal. Well, ChatGPT, you've you've really lowered the barriers, and and I got to imagine that lower barriers to entry, more people are going to want to go into this. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm sure we're going to see more people enter into the cyberspace, but I, I I don't know how worried I would be about too many more people coming in. What I what I worry about is people taking advantage. Like that kind of that ransomware as a service, the cyber crime as a service. What I've done is I've democratized the ability to run a ransomware com- campaign. And for the, the cyber criminal, I can now do that more efficiently. I can charge less, which means me, the buyer of that bad thing, is going to pay less. And it's going to make it easier for other people to do that type of stuff. That's where I think it's going to be the, the biggest. Uh, I'm sure we're going to see those you know, script kiddies getting better. We're going to see you know, some of those more uh, mid-level people getting better. But going back to the script kiddie comment, we worried about this uh, over the last 10 years in cybersecurity. Besides the DIN attack, which is a completely separate thing, we really haven't seen a, a huge impact. I mean, nation states obviously are the, the biggest adversaries, but script kiddies, they're around, but they haven't really made a big impact. So how much this actually impacts that type of uh, adversary Time only time will tell, but I'm actually not too worried about that. Gotcha. Uh, let's go on to the the second point that you mentioned in your in your original answer about how this will change the game for people on the defensive side. And wh- one of the things you talked about was Microsoft Copilot. Can, can you tell me a bit more about how this is going to change the game for for defensive analysts? Yeah. So I think. Everyone who has ever worked in the SOC knows you get so many alerts. You know, you have alert fatigue is what they call it. And, and this is where I think AI generally will be the, the most impactful thing for a defensive organization. If everything comes in and you have a good AI, a chat GPT enabled analyst, for example, that knows what to look for, can see the patterns and alert you when something that they've seen before or they know about because there was a news article about it popping up, that's where I, I think it's going to really help on the defensive side. And, and the main reason why is because similar on the offensive where time is your most valuable asset, time is also a very valuable asset on the defense side. And if you have a million alerts coming in a day, how do you prioritize? Well, that's where AI comes in. It will tell you what to prioritize. It will tell you, you know, hey, these six different things are 
similar, like you should look at these six things next because maybe they're related. One of the things I mentioned earlier, Purple by Sentinel One, for example, it's a LLM model that they're using on top of there. And this gets very technical into like domain controllers and all of these types of things. But you can start to ask it, what's my attack surface, basically, in a little bit more technical terms. And it will give you a report based on its data. So it's going to really speed up the efficiency of an analyst. And that's going to make it easier for them to you know, triage the, the most important things. That, that sounds like a crazy create like a very important piece of technology because I got a doing an assessment of your attack surface or your, yeah. Yeah, is quite time consuming. If you can just click in a couple prompts and have that, have that done immediately, that's got to imagine saving. Yeah. The more data you feed into, uh, especially like a, a one that's built for this type of stuff, you know, chat GPT is very general, but if you start to build your own models or cybersecurity companies like myself, if you start to build this into your platform and you kind of, train it on the right ty- types of data, it's going to become more powerful for those defense organizations. Gotcha. So it, it sounds like from the, almost between the offensive and the, and the defensive side of things here, you know, I'm, try- I'm trying to think of an analogy from warfare. It's like you invent the cannon and then the defensive people come up with thicker walls and you invent artillery yeah. and you, you know, with different types of cover. And it's kind of this, this arms race. Do you have any indications now which which side might have the advantage with the new AI coming out, or, or does it seem kind of evenly matched? So, off, I would say the the bad actors are winning right now. Now, it's not like the world's on fire; everyone run for shelter. But I would say the the bad actors are running right now, and and the reason why is because uh, one, having worked at a cybersecurity company, both from a developing a product, but also from defending assets. It takes a lot of time to integrate new technology into a platform or into a standard toolkit for an analyst. For a bad actor, it's just, I just go to the website, I type in what I want, and I get it out. There's no lawyer sitting over me saying, hey, what are you doing? Or, hey, you can't do this, or I can't do that, or I have to plug this in here. So it's a lot easier. There's a lower barrier to entry, as they would say, for the bad actor. So. We've seen a lot of this. I'm sure everyone who's gotten a, a smishing or a phishing attempt recently has seen up leveling of those types of things. Personal data might be getting input into there. It's not just your CEO saying, give me a gift card. It's, you know, hey, I'm in the meeting with this person and we're at this place and I need this. Right? It's like, oh, that sounds like something more like what my CEO might ask me to do then just give me some gift cards from from target or whatever so that's that's one one big area the other i would have to say is in the cutting edge area right so vishing if you're not familiar with vishing it's voice phishing within three seconds of a uh, uh, online audio so this is going to be on so they're going to have both of our voices you can actually generate an ai voice and you can start to call someone you can spoof their phone number you can do all of these things and that becomes a lot harder because it's not just a robotic voice or a guy sitting in a call center somewhere trying to tell you that they're the IRS. Now it sounds like your sister, your brother, your kid, whoever actually calling you. And this is maybe more on the commercial, non, non-B2B, more B2C type of stuff, uh, where like the consumer is at, at risk here. But I, I'm not, I wouldn't be f- surprised if that comes into the B2B space uh, in the near future. I would just, for, for any listeners that might not be familiar of the capabilities that this AI can do in terms of the, the level of sophistication that this is, I mean, check out the video. I think it was a fake video of Joe Rogan interviewing Justin Trudeau. 
And it, I'll include a link in the description of this. And it is spot on. Like if, if I didn't know it was fake, I'd be like, wow, Trudeau was on the Joe Rogan podcast. That's that's surprising. But it was uncanny and, and what this technology can do. And like any kind of voice prints and things like that, like all that is kind of out of date at this point. And that's the kind of the whole point is uh, to my comment of the offense is going to be uh, sorry the the bad guys are winning right now a little bit is people have to sit and think like is that real <laughs> like I just saw something and, and I have to stop and think that doesn't seem right but now I need to go and you know Google to see that this actually happened now I trust Google enough to say like hey if it's if there's a couple articles that say it happened then probably but. That might not be the case in the future, right? Uh, I might be Googling, there might be 16 different J, uh, AI-generated articles telling me that it was real, but it was never real. You start to have to question. And that's what, where I think that the uncertainty, even if they're not winning from a financial standpoint or from uh, getting ransomware or doing damage in some way, the fact that people have to pause, stop, think, that's, I would say that's winning to a certain extent. Yeah. Well, I, I had this experience this weekend. My partner's sister showed me a TikTok video of the game controller from the Ocean Gate submersible wreck on the bottom of the ocean. And instantly I was like, it, it looked really real. I was like, oh, that's an AI image. So, uh, you know, we had, a, we had a dispute about it. Whereas like maybe six months ago, I might have been more inclined to see that, that image online as real. I have, but now with knowing this stuff, it's just you gotta you gotta stop so much more because it's so convincing the images that you're seeing. So, so it was it was another big thing over this weekend. Um, I'm sure everyone listening to this has heard about what happened in Russia. Yeah, that's old news <laughs> uh, by the time this comes out. But yeah, yeah, I know, but exactly right. But like when this is recording, that was the weekend. That was this yeah. weekend. Two days ago, there was uh, some ha- things happening in Russia, but all of the stuff coming out of there, everyone I was you know I'm in doing some OSINT stuff on the side, and everyone's asking you know. Are these real? Are these videos real? Are these photos real? Because we didn't know. We didn't know if the data coming out of Russia, I mean, we had people on ground, so we ended up verifying it. But initially, when we first started to hear about it, like, this could just be all fake. This could be complete mm-hmm. disinformation, right? You know, that, that's the thing. You have to stop and think now. You can't just act. Well, and this brings me back to uh, the point that you wanted to talk about uh, a minute ago with, with the disinformation and the capabilities yeah. that this is going to give nation states. And like you said, with that example, like, could that whole coup attempt had been just, I mean, we know now it wasn't, but could it have won all disinformation right from right from the get-go? A couple, a couple years ago, or for, for all of history, really, with state-sponsored disinformation, you needed a team of people writing this stuff, uh, and, and it took a lot of work. Now, I could create some of these sophisticated yeah. campaigns with, with a few hours prompting. On two sides of it, right? So there's like the places that you have free press. I can go online. I can go look up all of this stuff. What's defamation, disinformation, what's not. But on the flip side, in the places where they're locking down access to data, that's where dis- disinformation and, and this type of technology becomes even more scary because I can just ease. I don't even have to have a propaganda guy sitting there thinking up all of these things. I just at chat GPT. What, what should I tell the Russian people about this war that's happening? And they'll tell you, a bunch of stuff and you can craft it and you can use this to like do some writing and to craft a narrative that sounds so realistic that people won't even question it, especially if they're only getting data from one side. Let's go into another thing that you wanted to discuss and I thought was very important as well, were some of the challenges and limitations and some of the security risks that can come as a result of using these these uh, language models. Can, can you tell me a little bit more about that? 
the, the biggest thing is always with new technology, take a grain of salt. I have some amount of skepticism. There was a, I'm sure everyone's probably heard the story of the lawyer that used ChatGPT and it came up with this completely fake precedent and he used it in a thing and now he's getting censured and disbarred and all that type of stuff. Take it with a grain of salt, right? You don't, you don't want to be that, that type of person who's just going to take it as real. So that's the first thing just to always keep in mind. But the data that is put in to uh, these models is the most important data when using it. So one, take it with a grain of salt. You, it might not be true. It might just make up something. But when people start to realize that this is the data that's getting put into it, ChatGPT, for example, uses Wikipedia. I can start to maliciously make changes to Wikipedia, potentially, that ChatGPT will pick up. And now, one, I could put disinformation there, but two, I can start to, you know, train it to do things to say, oh, this is this type of malware is okay. And now I got in because some of you using a chat GPT or whatever AI enabled web gateway. So those are the types of things you have to, to worry about, not just the data coming out, but the data going in. It's called poisoning, right? Right? You're going to poison the data. Nation states are probably going to be the, the biggest people doing that. But even the small guy, if they know where to, to look or know where to change, they can do a lot of damage without even writing a, a single line of code. That's an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought of that because I've like I'm aware that you yeah, you can you know use the output and that's what a lot of the focus has been on, but not but uh, like I know a lot of data scientists have been talking about that this stuff's only as good as the data that's being fed into it. And so it's like, well, how can how can you play with that? I hadn't hadn't thought of that as a vulnerability. And it's it's one of the most one of the big reasons that I say, you know, the biggest value, at least now, is using it to do summaries, using it to get reports, to do things where you're feeding the data that you want information about. You're not relying on its data store. ChatGPT is public right now. You obviously can get private instances and same thing with Bard and Titan and all the other ones. You can get your private ones. Then you have to train it on its own, on your own data sets and it takes a long time. If you use the public data sets, there's always a risk. But if you're putting data in and saying, tell me about the data that I'm providing you, that risk becomes much, much, much smaller because you're not relying on whatever someone else trained that model on. One other risk that has been talked a lot about is employees kind of putting sensitive information or maybe personal information into the chatbot. Can you tell me a bit more about that and, and some of the concerns you have with that? Oh, man. People are sometimes... You know, they don't think before they act. ChatGPT came out, and I think the first thing that I saw an article about was how like Toyota or someone like blocked it because people started putting proprietary code saying, hey, can you optimize ChatGPT optimize this code for me? And they're just taking code, like proprietary, you know, code, throwing it into an open model and getting some feedback. I'm sure it was good. I'm sure it helped, but now that code stored in a language model that and I'm sure people heard, like ChatGPT has been breached. Now I don't think they got any of that that sensitive data, right? But they got human the the PII of people. So what's stopping them from being able to, to breach that? Now they have access to this Toyota code or whoever code, right? So from a coding standpoint, obviously a lot of risk there. But PII, I mean, people put in information that they really shouldn't. I mean, hopefully people aren't putting in social security numbers and passwords and all of these types of things. Wouldn't surprise me if some, some people have, but those are the types of things that 
you have to be very careful about. So what have people done or companies done, right? They said, okay, blocking chat GPT. Well, I can go on my personal laptop and probably put the same information in. Maybe I still have access to GitHub because I'm, you know, coding on the side and I have access to my company GitHub and I can't get that out. One of the things that we're kind of seeing zero trust in this world, just generally looking at what we're doing to authenticate, zero trust application access is a, is a product, right, that we're, we're using to stop people from being able to access this type of data on personal devices. So that does help you when you're on a personal device trying to maybe push something into ChatGPT that you shouldn't. On the corporate side, you can just block it. Now, one of the downfalls that I think people are going to start to see when you do that is, well, you're not using it, but your competitors are. Mm. And they're going to value from this than you are. So you can go the hard route of just, nope, you can't do it. But it's better to train people and to say, hey, be smart about this. Now, you got to trust people and, and you know, it depends on what, what your industry is in. But, but that's kind of where you got to, there's a fine line there, I would say. I, I like that insight, Dan, because there's, you know, this technology is able to multiply people's talents by so much. And so if, if you're just saying, hey, this security risk, we're not doing it, you've just instantly put yourself at a major disadvantage to every other competitor, which is in any industry, everyone's looking in all the different departments, how to use this stuff. So I think that's a good point that you make. Just a blanket no is not a great long-term solution. I think of like countries, like I think Italy has just banned ChatGPT or something. I remember reading about that and I'm just like, you kind of put your whole country at a disadvantage with the technology, even though we don't know where it's going to. No, I, I think I think that's a great great takeaway. But like, yeah, so so it, it sounds like you know, if I'm if I'm getting your your recommendation right, like training and awareness is a far better option than just saying stay away from it. Yeah, and, and I mean, if you haven't trained your organization about this, then sure, block right. Like that's there's, there's probably I mean, depending on what you do, right? There's a, there's an existential threat of people doing stupid things right now maybe it's not that big of a risk and and you want to do training while it's still open but if you need a block just block but you shouldn't just leave it blocked you should be mm -hmm. focusing on training you don't block email because people get phishing you train people on how to find fish and do all these things and, and people learn now if you have the sensitive of the sensitive code and this guy is the only one that has access to it. Yeah, sure. Maybe block it on the one computer has access to that data, block chat GPT. But generally, you know, if 90% of an engineer's time is writing code that isn't really proprietary or, you know, they need to generate an extension. A great example is how many extensions have come out with chat GPT built in? Tons. How many extensions have been built by chat GPT? Hundreds. I mean, if I need to build an extension for my company and I just say, hey, give me a, a framework of it, that could save me. I've never written an extension before. That could save me hours of time. Engineers, we need, always need more engineers. Giving them, you know, five hours a week of extra coding time where they're doing the real stuff that ChatGPT can't do or shouldn't be doing, sounds good to me as a product manager. All right, Dan, we're coming up on all the time I promised to take from yeah. you today. Uh, what's the main takeaway you want listeners to remember from our conversation? Yeah, it's, I mean, there's, there's a lot, obviously, but I think the first one is don't be afraid. New technology comes out every day. The world's not on fire. We're not, the world's not coming to an end. Don't be afraid. Embrace technology, but, but come with some skepticism. From a, you know, a cybersecurity standpoint, the pros and cons, learn about them. 
from an OSINT standpoint, use this as a technology to help you get information, but more importantly, to distill the information into stuff that you can actually use for downstream uh, analysis and, and things like that. But if you are taking data that gets generated from a model, take it with a grain of salt. Don't just take it as truth. Don't, don't be worried to question, especially when you're looking at open source information, because you never know what's you know, looking behind the scenes. All right. And if people want to reach out to you or learn more about the work you're doing at Authenticate, how can they get in touch? Yeah. So, uh, you know, you can reach out to me on my email, dbenchutreat at authenticate.com. We have a product, Silo for Research, which is a, a, an online investigation platform that allows analysts to avoid tipping off those targets that might be watching when they're doing that OSINT research. We have a free trial. If go to authenticate.com, it's authentic with an eight.com, uh, just like my shirt. Uh, you'll be able to find that free trial for that research platform and sign up. You can, I think it's 14 days. So you can actually try out the platform, do all that that type of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I'm happy to, to connect with people on LinkedIn. It's my, my name. Just search it. There's not many of the Daniel Benchy treats out there. So I'm sure you'll be able to find me. Happy to talk via email, etc. So yeah, just feel free to reach out. Dan, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Again, that was Daniel Ben Cheatreat, Director of Product Management at Authenticate. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Talking Threat Intelligence, sponsored by LifeRath. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to these episodes. And if you'd like more insights on building a successful threat intelligence program, be sure to check out our resource page at LifeRathInc.com slash blog. That's LifeRathInc.com slash blog. And I hope you tune in next time.